everybody to this episode of one of 200 i am justine Sachs, one of your co-hosts i'm joined today by um kyle who needs no introduction and um susie wiles a scientist communicator a microbiologist and one of um someone who when we hear from her makes us feel better about all the chaos and uh <laughs> instability <laughs> that we are confronting right now in the world so very very happy to um to have you on today and very excited to kind of chat with you about where we're at with the covid response where it could be better obviously we're we're a critical <laughs> podcast we like to think about how we can make things better for people and and all that welcome susie Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's so interesting that the, uh, your kind of description um, back in the very beginning of the pandemic, I, I when we were actually in our first lockdown, um, I had a lot of when journalists would call me, they'd go, oh, just listening to your voice calms me down. So it was really interesting that, you know, one of the really important things for me when, when I started communicating about the pandemic was to try and do, you know, be calm um, uh, because you know the evidence is really clear that we don't act in our best interest when we're not calm, <laughs> you know, when we're panicked, uh, and that kind of really came across. So lots of people say, "Oh, even the pink, seeing the pink." <laughs> <calm them down." laughs> well, like there is a thing, you know, like every time the government would announce something, and I'm obviously not someone who ta- would ever take any government at its word. Um, <laughs> I would wait to see Susie and Michael Baker's response, and then I can feel good about it. Okay, they're feeling good about it. I'm feeling good about it. It's all good. Oh, they're not feeling that great about it. Okay, there might be something we need to work on there. <laughs> so, yeah, no, definitely. And I agree with you about the calm. Unfortunately, I'm not always the best example of staying calm in a crisis. <laughs> oh, look, I mean, gosh. Yeah. We're two years into a pandemic. Who would have ever thought we would be saying that? You know, and I'm somebody who studies infectious diseases, right, who knew full well that a pandemic was, <laughs> could happen at any time. But um, this, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be like, I guess. And so, I, yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely clear that, you know, this is, we have all these weird feelings around us. And, and especially for us here in New Zealand, I think, because we've had a very different experience of the pandemic than others have had. And so, other places, people have had two years of many, many deaths and, you know, and sort of a, we're now approaching what they kind of experienced at the very beginning, only we're doing it from a much, much better position, right? You know, mm. we, we have much better treatments. We, uh, you know, we've we've got vaccines, which are doing an amazing job. Um, so it's it's sort of different, but also, I guess, you know, because we've had this very different experience, Um yeah, it's not surprising that we're all freaked out at the moment. <laughs> I think it's okay. You're allowed to be freaked out. Don't, don't, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah, yeah. Like just accepting that anxiety because it is, it is a rational response to an extent. Um, as, but I, but I, you know, we always, we do appreciate the calm um, and just the, the, like the honesty, I guess, of our experts in New Zealand and, and the integrity. I think you guys have had just really some really incredible integrity in the face of quite a lot of criticism. I'll just say that now. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like, I just want to say like personally very thankful for that. Cause like in, yeah, I'm a panicker. It's in my, oh, I, don't know. <laughs> I say it's in my DNA. I don't know if I'm going to get too prescriptive here. It's a little <laughs> bit in my DNA. I mean, uh, yeah. Um, but no, it's, it is interesting. I think we, like we are at this point that a lot of the world has already faced and are kind of numb to, which I definitely <laughs> notice 
um, and how New Zealanders think about the pandemic and are reacting now as our cases, you know, exponentially increase. We had 6,000 cases today, which is just almost unthinkable, really. Yeah. Um, when, you know, you're thinking about how we went into a uh, lockdown over, you know, what was it, one case? That we are recording on the 24th of February, um, just for a, a data point, um, <laughs> yeah. anyone listening. So today our cases went over 6,000. We already, um, we got like word it would be over 5,000, but that was a thousand more than five. Uh, so no, definitely very sobering, um, very sobering numbers. What, um, how, like, you know, are you, um, this is like, how do I ask, what question am I going to ask you, Susie? <laughs> how are you feeling right now? So tell me how you feel. How, you know, how are you feeling right now? Oh my yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm full of very complicated feelings about all I'm sorts sure of things. I'm sure you are. Um, I'm really angry. I'm really angry at the world. I'm really angry at kind of world leadership, lack of world leadership. Because, you know, even two years ago, we had tools in our toolkit, right? The, you know, New Zealand... Uh, Taiwan, lots of different countries did different things, um, but using those tools and really, you know, got COVID under control in their countries. And if we had, if more countries had done that, you know, that we would be in a very different position. And I guess I sort of, you know, one of the questions I got asked quite early on by some um, uh, journalists in the UK when I was doing some interviews there, uh, so this was, you know, New Zealand had gone into lockdown. Um, this was in the very, uh, very first one. Um, I think the UK were just was just going into lo lockdown. It was quite a different lockdown to ours. Um, and the journalists were saying, why did New Zealand, you know, why did New Zealand act the way they did? Like, what did, what evidence did you have? And I said, we all had the same evidence. We all watched as you know, as China started building hospitals in a matter of days, we all watched you know the the doctors in Italy saying we have to decide who to give a ventilator to or not, right? So we knew it was bad. <laughs> and then countries acted differently, I would say, partly based on their values or the values of the people in charge and partly based on what resources they had. And and, the, and, I, and I just got a lot of, oh, no, 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 you must have known something else. It's like, no, no. When, when you've got a political ideology that is, screw you, <laughs> I'm just- I'll get mine. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do, you know, I'm either going to try and uh, use this as an opportunity to, to privatize the public health system or, you know, we saw that come, come, it was just astonishing to watch it being done so blatantly, I guess. And then to, to, for people to turn around and go, well, you must have known something secret. It's like, no, no, it was all pretty much there. And, you know, and people made different decisions based on their values. So I'm angry that we, that we don't have a stronger form of collective leadership that is able to guide us through these difficult mm. times. And I don't know why I'm surprised. I mean, I, you know, we shouldn't be surprised because obviously we have a climate crisis, which we've had for a very long time. And, you know, there are several meetings, people fly all around the world to go and discuss these things. And are we any closer? Mm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a climate scientist. So, 
So there's kind of that thing. And I somehow thought, I somehow thought a pandemic would be different. And it was like, okay, fine. The first wave. Yep. Okay. You could maybe be forgiven for thinking, you know, exceptionalism. It wasn't going to hit your country the same way. Um, I mean, I certainly at the very beginning, I didn't think it would hit us the same way because, you know, there's lots of differences between us and China. When it became really clear that it was an airborne virus that really didn't care, um, you know, it was like, okay, no, this, this is going to be bad, right? And so, but the, the fact that then a second wave came, <laughs> oh, and you're just going to behave the same way that you did the first time, which didn't work. And then a third wave came and it's just like, oh, for goodness sake. Yeah. And so, you know, the fact that New Zealand is in the position it's in now is not a surprise given what we've seen over the last two years. And it's really frustrating because we are now having to, you know, I mean, how how do you stay safe when the rest, when many of the rest of the world, much of the rest of the world doesn't care? Mm. <laughs> um, you know, it becomes a really difficult question that people are having to you know that I mean this is why I'm so glad I'm not in government having to make these decisions around well what trade-offs are we willing to make right mm. um while also facing an, a number of people who have a completely different like they're living a completely different reality and you're really worried about the kind of you know how this might fracture society you know, I mean, it's just, oh, what a mess. What a mm, mess. And it, I'm angry because we have the tools to deal with it. We had very blunt tools at the very beginning, but we've now got, you know, excellent vaccines. We've got, you know, I mean, yes, they don't stop transmission as much as we'd like, but that might be different in a year or so. We might have mm. international vaccines that do that, but we've got good medicines. And we've had them for well over a year. And yet there has been massive disparities in where those are available, right? So even though we had the right tools, capitalism still stepped in and said, screw you, <laughs> right? Yeah. And didn't make these make these incredible tools available to everybody. So yeah, I'm angry. <laughs> I feel like you I really just feel like a real like, oh yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Like I, you know, every step of the way, I was like, okay, all right, okay. You know, that's your ideology, but you'll learn because the outcome, surely the outcome of your ridiculous, like, uh, you know, like fantasy about freedom above all else and like not having any collective responsibility to one another. And you're right. And, and then all the waves hit and then the vaccine comes and you think, oh, finally, we have not... <laughs> Oh, no. No, we have to profit off that, too. Uh -uh. We're not going to give it to the global south. We're going to let another variant emerge. And and I think, like, it's been this moment of, like, a truly, for me at least, a mask off moment. Like, I was like, oh, this is what it is. And this is exactly how climate change will be. Mm. And that is a, you know, and I'm just trying to, like, come to grips with, like, the actual, like, that's a big thing to, you know, it's a big realization to not, and I do, and I think you're right. It's like, it, it's the, it's the values that government lead with. And I, I think like any analysis, I know, you know, you should tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel any analysis from New Zealand's COVID response uh, since Omicron, especially, you have to take into account the international space that we're operating in. I mean, we've literally got right-wing disinformation campaigns being waged overseas because people are so threatened by the idea 
that we would respond to an infectious disease with public health measures, like with adequate <laughs> yes. health measures. That that is the reality, the international climate that we are operating in, and it should be very sobering. And you know, as much as and I am a critic, you know, and I, I'll be the first to criticize the government, but I do really feel that we are in a way a victim of an international um, lack of coordination. Mm-hmm. We're 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 the victim of a of an international movement that really doesn't care about most people and I think the way that the way that I managed to get up in a morning is just to go do you know what I can't control any of that I can only do what I can do so I can obviously you know I'm privileged in that I can control my environment a little bit but I can also you know how can I contribute at least for the greater good right so that so that's sort of that's how I get up in the morning because I think if I didn't go okay well what what little bit <laughs> What little bit of something could I do? Um, I, I wouldn't get up. <laughs> I think this is something that um, kind of people left of centre are struggling with in particular, um, is the disjunct between how the government was acting in our interests um, more clearly in, in the previous two waves uh, compared to now where the environment has changed um, and whether that's... Uh, on some level ideological, um, whether it's out of necessity because of the wider global environment, the dissonance between those two things uh, and the previous wave of comms, which was so incredibly effective at getting everyone on board, those those previous comms stuck. And now to have this, okay, 6,000 cases today, um, it's really difficult to consolidate those two things. Um, yeah, and think, okay, and, what do we do then? Yeah, you know, and and in many respects, you know, the response now is, it's, as I say, it's kind of a pragmatic response. It's a right, okay. Yeah, I mean, it was becoming increasingly difficult to ensure that the virus stayed out, right? Uh, you know, again, we have an airborne virus that's becoming more and more infectious with every variant that we've had. Um, we were getting, you know, the, really the only way to stop it was to stop people from coming. <laughs> and that's that, you know, that's that's not that's, that's not something that, that we can do, right? So, mm. you know, it was they've obviously had this massive push against managed isolation for a long time, but really that was that was the that was the best barrier that we had. And the size that was was really, you know, limited by the fact that this isn't a massive operation that's you know, has people at its heart. They have to do all those jobs and those, those people are kind of limited. Um, so so we had this really, you know, this this thing that was becoming more and more difficult to, to stop this very difficult virus from leaking through. Um, all the while people are, you know, screaming about the fact that they don't want that thing. Um, and, and at the same time, the government's sort of using, you know, using all these incredible tools and, and, you know, trying to get everybody's kind of collective protection up. Um, and, you know, there comes a point where I guess you have to say, well, <laughs> we can't beat these fires anymore. How, how do we, how do we try and protect? Yeah. Let it burn in a controlled way. Let it burn in a controlled way. And the really, and the thing that is most distressing about that is this move to a kind of individual responsibility, individual things, which really is so kind of ableist. And it is 
so it's it just, you know, inequality is baked into it, right? Yeah. Not everybody is able to make the decisions that they can make, to, you know, to keep themselves and their families safe. You know, not every, you know, when you have a response that that is that means that, you know, everybody needs like an, a, a layer of an armor of protection to go and do things. Well, not everybody's going to have that armor, you know, some for very legitimate reasons because they are unwell. And what I've really, really hated seeing during this pandemic is this whole, oh, well, they had underlying health conditions like what the hell is that about? <laughs> I mean, the first thing is that that's one. That's incredibly broad, and two. Yes. Why does that? Why does it even matter? Why, does it matter? why yeah. is that supposed to be? But I, I want to know how that is um, supposed to calm me down or make me feel better. <laughs> no. Like, okay, you're talking about my mum and my my family, and like, okay, so my grandma's gonna die. Like, okay, like, why are you? Like, how do you think? Sorry, I'm screaming because I just, I just like, like, what the fuck do you think is like? How is that convincing? And I, and I, it is, you know, like there is just a strain of eugenics, like actually very deeply baked into that argument, in my mind. I mean, I, I feel that it's like, well, uh, you know, yeah, it's okay, and it's, it, it feels radically like divergent from my own values, you know. I have to say that the team of 5 million and the collective response that we did mount in the initial few waves, it was the first time I'd seen my values presented in mm. a political way uh, at a national level. Like I just hadn't seen that in my lifetime. And it inspired, it like, not only did it like renew some hope that I had in politics, cause I hadn't had hope in politics in a long time <laughs> being a, you know, um, disillusioned millennial leftist you don't often find, <laughs> there's not often things to to look for and say hey yeah that's how i might you know that like that really aligns with my values um it was like a source of hope yeah and and a great deal of actually pride that i'd never felt before i mean i'm an immigrant to new zealand i'm from south africa um originally and you know i love i love this country but i'd never necessarily felt a sense of like belonging even really mm. um and that was really the first time i'd felt that way because that was my values and that like just respect for life it's like life is valuable and we must protect it was something that i'll never forget and i and i and i understand the most the difficult circumstances but there's something quite heartbreaking about um you know uh the team of five million being retired to the stables and then this this old framework coming out you know and and, and you're right and, and, it, and it is a framework where inequality is just baked in and i feel that the main issue the main thing that stopped us from achieving all our ambitions throughout this public health response was the social cleavages that already existed the inequities that we've been, you know, we on the left have been trying to like scream about for decades, coming home to roost. But the thing that really gets to me is that is I thought maybe that would be a moment of reckoning, but it's not because they already know about it and they, you know, and and so that there's a lot of like things, to, like I'm like, oh, I understand now. I understand in ways I've never understood. Um, anyway, sorry, I'm just going on like a, I'm writing a manifesto here. Oh, but that, well. And I totally agree. I mean, I really thought that that was, you know, there's been report after report about inequality and, and how it's just bad for society in general, right? Um, so, you know, 
the people in the know know that. <laughs> the people making policies know that. And I thought that this that this was an opportunity for the collective, for, as you say, for the team of five million to go, oh, right? Like the whole essential workers, low-paid supermarket staff, people collecting your rubbish. Look, look who is essential. Hey, shouldn't they be paid better? (laughs) Somehow, again, like the idealist in me was like, oh, this is our collective moment of everybody going, oh, geez, okay, you know, that's what an essential worker is. And oh, yeah, okay. And and I'm just deeply disappointed that we we didn't take that moment and go, what would a resilient society look like? Because we're going to face pandemics in the future. And God damn it, you know, <laughs> there's there's all the stuff already that we know about and there's climate change right here. So how do we build a more resilient society? And instead, the instead it's, it's been a portion going, we want to go back. <laughs> we want 2019. As though that's a thing. As though that place <laughs> exists anymore. I mean, it doesn't, right? Um, yeah, so I just, oh, oh, yes, no, I'm with you with that manifesto. There are um, two things which I, like, I just want to draw back on. Um, one is the... Um, what you were saying earlier, Susie, about uh, journalists in the UK asking you, what was the secret? What, what did you know that we didn't? Um, and the second is the way that even like here in New Zealand... I know Boris Johnson. Yeah, that who, was who the, could have guessed? Um, yeah. The way that that narrative has changed in, in New Zealand over the course of the last couple of years. So even in the United States, you know, when Trump was initially in charge of the pandemic response, you had... Um, the Director General of Health over there. You had the um, you had Joe Biden who was running against Trump at the time, um, all making these quite lofty claims about um, you know listening to the science and following through, and they had the whole of like the Democratic Party behind them to to cover that off. And as soon as the switch in president uh, in presidency happened, as soon as Biden was president elect, that went out the window. Um, and a lot of the things he was saying at the time um, around the number of deaths that is unacceptable have just been blown out to a, like 10 times um, what was unacceptable then. Uh, and so it's very clear that, you know, leadership did know in, in that very specific case. And, and same similarly in the UK, um, you had an opposition that was quite... Uh, it could be quite competitive about it. They knew. And slowly you've seen that shift as well as, as Keir Starmer wants to become uh, more electable, uh, whatever that means. But here in New Zealand, you've seen the same thing, but it's all with the same party. So initially you saw, you know, this team of 5 million, you had, um, you know, people were calling Grant Robertson Red Robbo for a while um, because he was willing to give support to workers um, and was doing the winter energy payment, um, and other, and giving really clear, what well, I guess turns out to be lip service um, to those uh, inequities and inequalities in society and how they were, people with different social backgrounds were suffering under this pandemic to a greater degree. But over the course of probably the last 12 months, some of the individualistic stuff started to leak in. And like, wait, what happened to that stuff that you knew six months ago? <laughs> it's just been a really no i don't know if it's even bizarre but just um surreal thing to watch um roll out 
Well, certainly, I mean, if we go back to the people who are in, in opposition, it's very easy to be in opposition. It's very easy to make promises about what you're going to do when you don't have to do them and you don't have to, you know, you aren't dealing with all the stuff. So, you know, we've we've seen we've seen lots of that here too. We've seen lots of lofty, <laughs> ah, we will do this. And it's like, well, if you do that, that's a really stupid idea. Um, the, you know, so so I think there's there, you know, I'm 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 not a politics nerd. Um, I am not, you know, I have very strong values, a very strong feelings about how I think society should work. And they come through in my science communication because I think it's absolutely crucial that people understand where someone's coming from when they are communicating, right? So that we, as I said, we can look at the same evidence and we can make different decisions about what that evidence means and how we should act based on our values. So I've been very clear about that from the very beginning. And it's been something that some people have really criticized me for because they're like, we don't want to hear that shit. We just want, you know, the science. And it's like, well, you can't have the science without understanding how I interpret the science, right? So, um, and and then because I lead with my values, that's led another portion of society to go, oh, she's going to run for parliament. Or I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God, I have a job I love, right? You know, this is not going to happen. And they go, oh, it's really going to happen. Anyway. <laughs> It's just been so interesting that this whole like just like you just can't even say this is how I would want to you know this is the, these are the things that are good for society these are, these are all evidence based without it somehow becoming you know a sort of a politicized <laughs> yeah I've I've really appreciated that your communication with regard to that because as someone with a background in social sciences you know um from the outset was always and, and like and I think like I have an interest in science but what always um put me off about science was this pretense that pure object objectivity was possible and this denial of the fact that we do come with all these presuppositions our backgrounds and how that informs how we might interpret things and you know like I don't have a I mean I do have a problem with like <laughs> right-wing ideology and, and capitalist ideology, don't get me wrong, but at least if it owned up to itself, it's the normative claim to, like, it's normative, you know, like, we're, the, we're normal and everybody else outside of that is, you know, um, a loony or whatever else, you know, like, whatever pejorative um, they, they want to use. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, we don't have to go into it, but I mean, that, you you became like a target for that because you oh, yeah. kind of rep no you did you represent it but I think um, you know and I think like everyone um, should be in solidarity with you because what what you were was a threat to that whole thing by just leading with your values which were good values by the way and we should all acknowledge that <laughs> they're very good values and we support them. Thank you. I, 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 I get them from my mum and dad who have <laughs> who are very much working class and, you know, um, well, again, just generally believed in society. And, you know, and I think that comes partly from um, growing up with very little money, right, where people really had to help each other to get by. Um, but then I also I grew up in South Africa and um, as well. And um I remember, you know, some because of the lack of social, um, social, uh, you know, like, like payments and stuff, right? You know, if people lost their jobs, uh, if people, I remember we were uh, members of a church and um, somebody's house burnt down and they had no insurance. Like, there's nobody to help, and so it's society who helps. It's your community who help, right? And I guess the 
The thing that's really fascinating to me about infectious diseases is they show just how stupid this kind of idea of, I'm going to name it, the sort of libertarian, you know, like each to his own type. It's just how stupid it is. Because when somebody is breathing out a virus and they don't know it and you don't know it, like it doesn't matter about your freedoms or anything. You know, it's just, it's this crazy thing where, it's infectious. So how we all behave is really, really important. And if you, I mean, you know, the, the crazy thing they're doing in the UK at the moment where, and we're seeing this in lots of places, which, oh, it's over. We'll stop testing. We'll stop doing all these things. It's like, well, it's not actually over and you won't know where it is. And those who are most privileged will be able to hide from it. Um, but only to a certain extent, but the burden will be much more felt by those who can't hide. Mm -hmm. And it, that just, it makes me so angry because it's like, that's not, that's just so unfair and so bad, but so stupid because, you know, you can't hide from it forever with something mm -hmm. that's basically floating around in the air. So is there, is there any sense? Cause yeah, cause this is what we're seeing like in a lot of other places. I mean, we're, um, I think, you know, we're a little behind in the curve, which is kind of a good place to be in a set in some ways and, and not We in get to ways. watch what everybody watch. else should go, well, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't and, then, do that. and then we do it anyway. So or, <laughs> Yeah, or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, now we're seeing this, like, um, moved, yeah, exactly what you're talking about, this trend towards removing restrictions, stopping uh, surveillance testing. Um, some countries are talking about not reporting cases now and, and only reporting... Um, deaths uh yeah what is your take so this what firstly like what do you think is kind of like the impetus behind this um is there any scientific reason to believe the pandemic is over because this is something that we're hearing a lot of people repeat and we're hearing a lot of people in positions of power in positions of influence and um yeah in academic positions say this kind of thing i mean what is the basis of that claim i just don't understand so I guess there's partly a kind of definitions thing here, right? Where what they're talking about is this um, this move away from labeling it a pandemic to labeling it endemic, which really just means it's kind of present now in the place and needs to be dealt with, right? And there's nothing in the word there's nothing in the word pandemic or endemic that says anything about the severity of the disease. It just describes how it's behaving, like where it is, and 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 the kind of general scheme of things. So we have lots of diseases that are endemic that are deadly and that we take public health measures to avoid getting. So, you know, we, we also have others that they are, they are deadly without treatment, right? So if treatment is available, then that's fine. Um, and so we do, we have disparities around the world, right? Where we have these deadly mm. endemic diseases, which in some countries are absolutely devastating. And in others, not a big problem because everybody has access to the care that they you know if not everybody <laughs> depending on the country uh if you are rich enough or you live in a country with socialized healthcare, you will have access to the treatments that you need right so so the fact that COVID-19 may be moving to an endemic state says nothing about the severity of the disease it's very clear that Omicron is different from Delta but it's also it's also it's kind of like what it what it gives with one hand it takes away with the other 
you know, and we see this, right? So yes, it's not as deadly as Delta. Uh, it doesn't cause as many hospitalizations as Delta, but it does break through, you know, the immune barrier that people have when they're vaccinated or, or they've been previously infected. And so it infects many more people. And so what we're actually seeing in places like the US is that they're having as many deaths <laughs> during this, the Omicron wave as they did during Delta. More deaths now. Mild right? aversion, right? Yeah, it's so, just, it just passed. So yeah. there, there are now more Omicron deaths than Delta deaths in right. the US. And so, the, so, so it's, just, it's just like... Pretending it's not there anymore isn't, it doesn't mean it's going to go away. Um, what really worries me is that we, by not measuring it anymore, we don't know how it's changing because it's not going anywhere, right? So the fact that it's transmitting still between people, every time somebody gets infected, there's the opportunity for that virus to mutate in a way that could make a new variant, right? Right. And I think one of the one of the mistakes that's been made is people saying, "Ah, oh, yes, but it's you know it's going to evolve to be less deadly." This was a really early threat. On, on oh, what basis? Coming through, it's like, bullshit. I yeah. mean, it's it's wishful thinking. It's kind it's of homeopathy. You know, right. Well, some people are saying, "Oh, well, you know, we have other coronaviruses that cause um, you know, that cause colds, so maybe it's going to turn into a cold." Well, that could take. I don't know, hundreds of years. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, there's, there's no guarantee of that. So I think I think a lot of it is, again, driven by this, oh, we're all just tired, we just want to be over, we just want it to be back to the way it was. And that is fine if you are somewhere, someone who is, you know, healthy, vaccinated, you know, all of those kinds rich. of things. And rich, yeah. It's not fine for everybody else. And actually, you know, the vast majority of the world does not fit into that category. So... Oh God! What's going to happen next? You know, and yeah. and so we'll only know what's what's evolving in countries that are measuring it, and in countries that are monitoring it in people who travel there from other places. You know, the the real worry for me, um, as a South African, actually, is is that it becomes like HIV and AIDS, um, a disease that is a chronic disease in places where you have access to the, the medication, you know, the life-saving medication we have and in other places, still absolutely deadly. Um, and, and that is the kind of like thing that we see and, you know, like the global South, so they have, you know, there's diseases that they still, so if this becomes something that, you know, it's, it's only killing people in the global South, you know, something we can turn away from, well, the West will turn away from, and that and that is so wrong. And I mean, we really should resist it. I, I do have a question as well, though, because um, you know, we're hearing, yeah. So I mean, I, I, from the outset, I've sort of thought that was wishful thinking. I'm sort of a pessimist at heart, so it does. Um, <laughs> I'm always preparing for the worst, um, and it just. So I think I've become. I'm just going to say it like I, I read the peer reviewed articles because I'm not I'm just not I'm not going to take it face value anything I hear I'm not I'm like no I want to know what the scientists are saying and um what I keep coming across is this discussion around long COVID and that's the other thing that's just not being talked about yeah and you know what what yeah what do you make of that I mean we're talking about you know it's a mild disease which is I think just a the worst kind of community in terms of neuroscience scientist communicator what does it is that good science communication because i don't think it is <laughs> no uh, and i guess it's a I, again it's a sort of pragmatic 
you know, well, for the vast majority of people, you'll be fine, hopefully, <laughs> at least from acute infection. Um, so I think uh, it's it's been a pragmatic, how do you prepare people for the fact that there are going to be more cases because it is more infectious, but for most people, it will be okay. Um, and, and I don't agree with that framing at all because I still think, hey, you know, we're on that flatten the curve journey, right? We should totally be trying to slow down transmission because if we slow down transmission, we can keep case numbers at a level at which we can care for everybody, not just those with COVID, but everyone else, people having babies, you know, people with, with cancer, all of these kinds of things. So so there's, so I can understand why it's being framed that way, but, and it pisses me off. But you're absolutely right. There is so little discussion about long COVID. Um, and and what, you know, what countries that have had uncontrolled transmission in the early days with no vaccines have set themselves up for is a future of mass disability for many people. And it's like it just doesn't exist. You know, those people, many of them are being just gaslit. It's just the most I mean, kind of... As far as Western uh, public health policy goes, people with disabilities don't exist. Well, you know, I mean, it, it 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 kind of follows, but it's it's yeah, it's it's horrific. And yet, we, I, mean, I, mean, I guess we've never had anything on this scale before. Yeah, and, and that's we have, a huge yeah. number of people who are going to be taken out of the workforce, um, and who are going to have long term needs that someone is going to have to to meet. Yes. And I just yeah. it just seems so short sighted. But again, if we bring this back to politics. Most things are short-sighted, right? Because mm. most politicians are thinking in those short-term cycles because they may not be in power in a few years' time. Mm. And it, it, it it's shocking. Um, and so, you know, we have we have avoided that in the most part. We do have this, you know, uh, here in New Zealand at least, um, we're facing this wave with some armour for most people. I, I am still trying to say, well, I, I, you know, I'm not sure if that arm is enough. So mm. it's still too early to say. I still think we should be cautious. Um, mm. And then, of course, that that pisses people off because they're like, the restaurateurs are like, no, but we want everyone to come. And I'm like, mm, I don't really want to go. Well, there. The, the thing is as well, that is they're not, people aren't going there anyway. Well, so, and we're and seeing this what, across the world. Like, it doesn't matter if you put a lockdown in place or you let it rip, as the, the saying now goes. People are just going to decide not to go out to restaurants. What what I really fundamentally like, I think what we what we should stress, you know, is that the fact of the matter is when you actually look at the polls, like we're talking about the people here, because I, I think what we're actually articulating is a criticism of power and the people in power and how they've kind of responded to this crisis. But actual people, the people who are the workers um, on the front line, everyone and everybody else, really, the polls consistently show do you know are pro public health because it turns out no one wants to get sick it's not an attractive proposition yeah. go to your restaurants and get sick I'd go say... get sick what kind of ad is that <laughs> why would i do that i'm sorry why would i do i don't want to do i don't want to do that i don't even know you're going to tell me like i've got it what's the chance of getting long covid oh don't worry about it no thank you i will worry <laughs> i'm worried and i and I will worry more, and I will not go to restaurants. I'd go even further than that and say most people don't want other people to get sick either. And, you know, we're, we're moving into what the government are calling phase three of restrictions opening up in New Zealand. 
where in just this week or the end of last week, there was a poll that showed 50% of people thought current restrictions were good and 25% of people thought we should have stricter restrictions. That's 75% of people who want public health restrictions. That's incredible. We should stop calling them restrictions too. They are public health measures. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the thing with that, with that wording? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think like it's really important to actually make the distinction because like what we're actually talking about, I guess, and I, and I know this isn't a political um, pod, we're more talking about public health, but we are kind of talking about a crisis of democracy because we are just seeing a complete disconnect between the people and our leaders. And I'm not necessarily even, like, I don't think it's been as stark in New Zealand. And I think that we are sort of prey to international trends um, in many ways, but it is like, it is that, you know, and it's the fact that people have to go to work most of the time or go to, and kids have to go to school where, you know, but like, if you really ask, and then, and then following from that, when you have to go onto the front lines every day, you are going to rationalize, you know, you have to just for your own mental health, you have to do that. But most, but for for the most part, people don't want to get sick, and people are going to be cautious most of the time, especially with something like unknown like this. And I think it's important to remember that, because at the end of the day, like that's a problem. But let's talk about what's happening in Wellington, right? So we have, you know, there's clearly a small number of people. People are throwing poo. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, this small number of people a really small number of people who don't believe the virus exists. Um, there's a small number of people who, you know, don't want the restrictions. So believe it exists, but don't think the restrictions are the right way to do, you know, don't think the public health measures, sorry, are the right things to do. And, you know, as somebody who is in the firing line of those people, no, some of those people want me executed. And so, you know, they are, as I say, some of them are living in an, an alternate reality where they actually think this is, you know, this is something that could happen. Um, I mean, it, I guess it could be if somebody took measures into their own hand, which is a worry, but it's not, you know, there's no no court is going to is going to take all of the people who have been communicating about public health measures or have been making those decisions and say, oh yes, you should execute them. Um, Clearly, well, you haven't heard of the Nuremberg trials. Well, <laughs> As a Jewish person, I was like, I loved, I loved that. That yeah. was my favorite. Um, but I guess the 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 worrying thing is that the way that social media works, you know, and and the, I mean. There's ah, ah what what do we do when you have the small group of people who you know are taking this very hard line? And I think there's a real concern about what what happens. How you know they some of those who are there at Parliament they saying they won't go until all our public health measures are gone. These are the public health measures that are still today saving lives, even though I know those of us who believe COVID is real are freaking out because we can see the case numbers rising and we can see the number of people in the hospital rising and we're like, we don't want this. You know, they mm. are the number they are because we still have stuff that works, because people are wearing masks, because people are getting vaccinated, you know, because we, you know, all of these things. So I think the real concern is, is just what happens to that little bit of society and 
does it infect more people? You know, we're seeing a little bit of political playing to that group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the and and I think and I guess the worry. I'm not an expert in this, and I, I know plenty of people who are. Is just that when you start to normalize that, when you start to make it seem like it's okay for people to be calling for executions and stuff, you know, it starts to push the dial a little bit about what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. I think the other thing it does in a um, in a policy sense is it sets something so far to the, I don't even know what, what, you can't even talk about it on a scale, right? But so far away from the kind of public health measures that we need, you risk some kind of strange Overton window shift where you've now got National Labor both saying mandates were always going to end um, and they, restrictions will lift at some point because of the amount of media space that these people have taken up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, you know, which just didn't need to happen. I mean, it, you, you should be reporting on it, of course, uh, but, to have some parts of the message justified uh, as being reasonable in the face of this pandemic uh, gives seems to have given uh, some policymakers a sense that it's politically expedient to uh, ease off a little bit, um, and in, in a wider societal sense, that's one of the other things I'm worried about. You know, if I can just jump in here, because I I think this is part of the problem that I wanted to talk about is because I see, you know, Susie Brave, um, people like you, academics, uh, speaking basically, you know, truth to power and saying, you know, actually, this is what's going on. And, um, and then you've got obviously the invested interests who, you know, short, whatever it is there, it's not, I don't think we need to necessarily ascribe like evil intentions but it's short-sightedness it's selfishness it's, it, it is what it is you know the restaurant to the restaurant associations and business lobbies who who want things to go back to normal because that's in their interest and they can't really think outside of that like ambit that's their worldview and that's it there is no counter to that you know there there isn't um and there has to be because it can't just be like the the academics and then whatever is of the left you know which is already so marginalized (laughs) you know like the kind of scraps like sad kind of these sad like lonely calls um to do what's right um you know like and, and i and i keep coming back to the importance of we actually just desperately need to shift that balance of power more towards democracy like true democracy like actually like you know, it, it matters that 75% of New Zealanders either support current public health restrictions Edges, or actually public health measures. Public health measures, excuse <laughs> me. Excuse me, we're going to get this right now because we're starting this now. And this, is how, um, this is how powerful or, that, that messaging's been though, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, or, at, or even want more stringent measures, you know. That matters and it's because the 75% of us are so used to we don't have we're used to not being we don't have power we've you know we've been systematically disempowered and you know so like it like all this talk about because we because like there's such a fetishization of polls i i don't you know like i see a poll like that and that's not going to change the political landscape but um supposedly the prime minister can't enact a capital gains tax because there was one poll that showed that it had slightly it wasn't slightly you know sorry going off on a little bit of a tangent but it's interesting to me the way that this kind of you know like how power works and i do think like 
you know, like it shouldn't have just been you and Michael Baker kind of being <laughs> like canary in the coal mine. There needs to be a popular movement behind you. There needs to be people behind you who are empowered and are organized. And so that's why <laughs> I have had enough <laughs> of this nonsense. And, you know, and, and, that, and no, no, seriously, but that is why I like the Aotearoa's from which together uh, organization that we've like very haphazardly put together in five minutes. Um, that's why we did that because I've had, because actually it's enough and um, we have to get organized and it's just not good enough. Like it's just not good enough. And, uh, you know, like this, the stakes are high and I'm not saying that necessarily we'll win because, you know, as I said, it's like a David and Goliath kind of vibe here. Um, but, you know, like, I just think we need to remind ourselves that not only are we right, most people agree with us. Mm. Yeah, I think that I, that's something I wanted to talk about and, and lead into as well is, you know, it might surprise people, but I understand, even if I don't necessarily agree with political expediency, we, we are in a global situation which does not work for us um, as a Western country. I, that's just a, a fact. And there are a lot of pressures on the government to be acting in certain ways. But that doesn't mean there aren't a whole range of things that are a middle ground that the government isn't currently doing. Mm -hmm. And the accessibility of N95s, for example, which you've done some uh, small campaign work around already, Justine, um, is an example of that. You know, that's something that we could do looking to those public polls around uh, harsher or, or continuing uh, public health measures are things that the government could do. They could be using that to back up their, their public support and, uh, you know, play a bit harder ball with those business and um, other associated lobbies. Why, why do you not think that that is happening just yet? I like, I struggle to think that it's, anything more than ideology because because <laughs> these aren't these aren't huge systemic changes in the same way that i would usually uh, be screaming for these are just hey make sure that everyone has access to masks joe biden can do it in the united states they have n95s in in supermarkets which are just there free to take uh, as you're accessing the supermarket why why can't jacinda ardern do that here it's a great question and i i don't know the answer um <laughs> You know, and, and it doesn't have to be in 95, right? There's a whole bunch of numbers and letters and, you know, there's all sorts. Um, if, we call, if we call them respirators, t tell us why they're important. And and maybe can you, yeah, tell us why we need respirators Just, and, and who needs them? And everybody then maybe we talk about them. what's happening. Okay. Everybody needs them because what there is floating around in the air is an airborne virus <laughs> that people breathe in. And so you really need protections that stop you from breathing that stuff in. And so what are the protections that work? Well, in order to actually stop your breathing stuff in, being outside where the ventilation is better, if you're inside, having ways to improve ventilation or remove the virus from the air, or having something over your nose and mouth that stops you breathing it in. And I guess the, you know, the, there's, we've both had a kind of, um, a long-standing issue <laughs> with with how respiratory organisms might be transmitted so you know there's there been this long you know thought around droplets and coughing and sneezing and stuff um that's certainly what i was talking about in the very early days that's what people initially thought 
yeah, that's that. As, and then essentially, as the evidence changed, what I did, what every scientist is supposed to do, and go, oh, okay, that's not how it works anymore. Let's let's start talking about it differently, right? So, yeah, the the these what we know is that the quality of mask makes a difference for how much viral, how many viral particles you are likely breathing in if you're not infected or breathing out if you are infected. And so the, you know, ideally what everyone would have would have be one of these really well-fitting masks. It forms a seal over your mouth and nose. It's bloody awful. They're uncomfortable and unpleasant, especially in hot, humid temperatures. Um, that's kind of what, what everyone would have, right? The I guess one of the worries is that they need to be reserved for those most critical workers. Um, <laughs> that's like, well, can we not sort out the supply issue? You know, why can we not be making them here ourselves, I guess? Um, but if we don't have access to those, there's also, uh, you know, they they we all have different shaped faces and those things don't necessarily work for everybody. So if they've got big gaps in them, then they're not as effective. Um, so there's, but, but that doesn't mean you don't have to use anything, right? So the, the important thing about masks, I guess, is that we can reduce the amount that we're exposed to, and that may maybe even be breathing in or breathing out by just using something. So um, that's why we're talking about if you can't have access to those things, well, maybe not your hands, but um, <laughs> if, if you, you know, having a surgical mask with a, and surgical masks often don't fit very well, so they might sort of have gaps, but often cloth masks fit much better. So if you put them over the top of a, of a surgical mask, you can kind of make, make it have a better fit. And while it's not perfect, if you breathe in the virus, you will likely breathe in a lower amount and that will make that may well that may well make the difference between your immune system being able to fight it off quite quickly or you having a, a you know a more difficult time and so i think what we've what we've really struggled with is this like oh it has to be perfect right you know one of the things that i talked about in the very beginning was well you know masks are a precious resource we really need them you know worn by those who are most at risk you know most exposed uh, people are just going to fiddle with them. So, you know, are they just going to infect themselves? It was sort of this pursuit of perfection. What mm. I've really learned in the last two years is that it's actually to, to borrow a phrase from a, from a good friend of mine um, uh, who's a, um, a biologist, I don't know what he would describe himself as, um, Bill Hannage. He said, we're building the plane while flying it. We are, and, and I feel like that's actually been New Zealand's response, right? We are... Making it not not making up as going alone on it's not quite the right thing you know we are assimilating evidence we're looking at what works for us we are trying to do the best we can with what we've got and I think at times we have sold ourselves short there are definitely more things that we could be doing um, but it it's been this sort of strive for perfection that I think has let down many you know the response in many places. Um, mm but also this kind of like, oh, well, you know, we need to save these particular masks for these people. Actually, if we all had masks, we would be stopping transmission. <laughs> That's really clear. And then you wouldn't need to hoard them for the healthcare workers. So um, yeah, I guess what, what I really struggle with is I, I tend to see the best in people. So when something doesn't happen, I'm like, what am I missing? Why aren't they doing this? Because this seems like totally obvious. What, what don't I know? Is this, does this mean they just don't have the supply and so they really are kind of trying to save them? Or, you know, is there some kind of reason? And um, 
and maybe there isn't maybe there maybe there is no good reason but i always try to my my approach the entire pandemic you know when a decision has been made to go if i don't agree with that what am i missing is it just a, an ideology thing or is this actually something that we don't we don't know because yeah. of course the government is making decisions based on a lot more evidence than we have um and and based up from from different angles right so they're taking i'm obviously coming at things from a public health angle but i don't know anything about supply chains i don't know anything of you know so um yeah it's sort of been a really interesting it's just been a kind of fascinating and horrifying thing to sort of almost get involved in is to just you know and why yeah. again, i'm so glad i'm not in charge because oh my god having to make these decisions mm where you're trying to balance all of these very difficult things. It's, just, it's, like, it's exhausting just thinking about it, having, having to make the decisions, right? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I've had the same thoughts and, like, arguments with myself. And I guess where I've been disappointed in the advice being given by public health officials, um, government public health officials, is, um, you know, if it's a supply chain issue and we do need to ration them, which, okay, it's not ideal. I would have liked to know what you've done prior to this when we found out about Omicron, really, because um, we've had some warning, at least in Aotearoa. But then the other thing is, I feel that, okay, then say that. And I know that that's a difficult thing to say to the public, but I'd rather hear that than, oh, you don't know how to use it. So yeah. we can't trust yeah. you. You're a baby. You don't know how to use your hands. You can't follow simple instructions and you don't understand anything and we just don't trust you with it. That is incredibly condescending. Um, and anyone who knows anyone over, you know, and, 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 and there's not much about any other pandemic response to like look up to. Let me be clear about that, especially in, in the West. But one thing that has been really clear over Omicron at least is that you need quality masks, you need a respirator of some kind. And so the dissonance between what was going on elsewhere versus like the, the the advice that we're receiving kind of just doesn't square, like, you know? And and I think, and I, and I do think like, you know, the, the kind of stuff that's coming out and it's like, oh, you're all gonna get it anyways. Not everyone can afford to, to get it. Um, and that's the other thing I wanted to ask you is like, what about immune compromised people? What about vulnerable people? Because you know, I, it breaks my heart. I haven't heard one mention of them since Omicron arrived. And what are people like, you know, what are our vulnerable people supposed yeah. to do? Because they are our people too. And I, you know, maybe the people in Wellington don't care, but we do. This is another one of those things alongside the political expediency stuff, right? Like, okay, we could all, we could get everyone masks, um, but also we could increase support to like everyone, uh, you know, it would be ideal, but even just a certain sex of society that need it. Um, and we've seen some of that for businesses, but we haven't seen anything close to the initial days of the pandemic where it was far more wholesale. Um, yeah, I've seen I've seen advice from schools being posted publicly where they called people who were immune compromised and were worried about coming to school the worried well. That's, you know, like, I mean... Yeah. I guess I don't I, even know I've what seen my question stuff, is. Which is uh, I don't even know what my question is. Um, I mean, what, what, what's your take on that, Susie? <laughs> oh, Sorry, I'm horrified. I mean, so my 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 experience of this comes from having a mum who is in that category, who lives in the UK. 
and she so in the uk they called it shielding so if somebody was on this on this basically list of people who were vulnerable they were told to shield so that meant you sort of stayed away and um she went into us and into a susie imposed isolation in february 2020 and has pretty much been in that isolation since then and the reason she can do that is because she's retired um and she and my dad are both retired and they can do that they can afford to isolate and so they have <laughs> they've they've not eaten out they've not had not they've become each other's hairdressers you know they have not seen anybody for two years um bar kind of waving through the window or very far across wow. you know um and it's just heartbreaking because now mum's having to adapt to say well she can't live like that for much longer so what's she going to do and her response has been she's got a very tiny face so she'd been really struggling the 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 respirators she couldn't find one that fitted her and she's managed to find some kid-sized ones so now she's very excited because she has a mask that a good quality mask that fits her and so we've just talked about well okay so what kind of activities could you do that would be as low risk as we could possibly make them while you're wearing a mask um and she's having to make that adjustment to, you know, what kind of things she's going to feel okay doing, um, which is very hard when you've had two years of don't go anywhere because you're not safe. And it's especially hard because the UK is not going to, we're not going to know. She's not going to know. Mm. If people are infected, they aren't, they aren't going to be able to test and say, you know, could we come and visit? So I think they're limited. They're gonna, still going to be limited in, in terms of who they see. Um, and but yeah I, I don't know how to answer that question right because I don't know what to say to her other than well we know that you're at risk we know that you're not you're still not safe we can try and come up with some well this might be an okay activity to do and what she's having to balance for her is her mental health versus her physical health mm-hmm. and 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 she's doing that from a position of privilege with someone who has access to masks and who can isolate and stuff and that what breaks my heart is that is the people who are not privileged and do do are not able to make any of those decisions that they you know it's it's just so wrong that that yeah what can we say and 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 just going well you know get over it i mean (laughs) and and this 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 unfortunately was is the approach of the COVID Plan B people, of the Great Barrington Declaration people, that we should be protecting the vulnerable and letting everyone else get on with their life. It's like, that is just fucked up, frankly, because everybody deserves a good quality of life and it shouldn't come at the expense of others, frankly. Um, it just, it's not right. Here's one thing that really struck me uh, in an interview I did a little while ago um, with an overseas journalist, and they just were like, it's just so wrong that your borders are closed. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, well, but you're closed to foreigners. It's just like it's wrong. And I reflected on that for ages, and I'm like, oh, right, no, no. What you're talking about is privilege. 
Like you have the kind of passport and the means to go wherever you like. And it seems wrong that you can't come to New Zealand because under normal circumstances, you would be able to. And um, I just felt like what you're experiencing is what people, people with certain passports or, you know, or no means to travel always experience. <laughs> and so again, the pandemic is, a, is an opportunity to reflect on our privilege. You know, the, the business people who are clamoring to get through the borders, that that is a privilege. I know it doesn't feel like one, but actually not everybody has those same opportunities. And so what we're, you know, it's not oppression when your privilege gets taken away. It's, um, it's you're experiencing now what others have experienced. Yeah. And I guess- Still that, to a much less degree. Well, I want to be really clear yeah, about but that. Like, you know, like with the border thing, you know, I'm, I said I'm an immigrant from South Africa. We moved here when I, in 2005. I've never been able to go back. Not because of the borders are closed. I just couldn't, we couldn't afford it as a family. Mm. I cannot relate to this, noise i can't relate to it because all i mean i'm not i'm not trying to like i know that there are exceptional circumstances and i'm not trying to generalize but my friends who are overseas had to come home <laughs> like in the early stages of the pandemic they didn't have a choice because it was that or like you know no support bones of their ass kind of thing mm. and they couldn't afford to to and i'm not so i don't want to generalize but there is something very alien about that whole debate for people who don't have that kind of ability to just prance around the world at what, well, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and it's true, I, you know, and, and I'm one of those privileged people. I have family in the UK and I have family in Australia. And so, you know, I have the means by, you know, to go and visit them. And it's been really weird <laughs> to go, oh, we're just like, you know, we're, we're seeing each other on the on the screens but again maybe you know, not the not the most important thing right now <laughs> you know not that your family aren't important Susie sorry <laughs> but it, you know but it's again who who's who are we leaving behind when we you know when we when we behave in this going back to you know how and this was a, a big thing, like about the New Zealand um, pandemic response, right? Was no one left behind? Like that was mm -hmm. a, a a thing that we focused on. Um, I, I, I'm just uh, conscious of time. Yes. Uh, Justine, you're you're talking just before about Aotearoa Stronger Together. Just want to talk um, and let people know where to find that. Um, just as a so we have a website you can sign on to, so you can just um get emails and the point of that is basically is like we want to be able to coordinate people um and the idea of that is literally what i just said it's like we just feel like the silent majority of people has the actual, isn't being the actual silent majority yeah the actual silent majority of people just isn't being heard and it, it that needs to change and the only way that's going to change is if we organize ourselves so please do go and sign up pop your email there and let's um what is that email address what is that um website uh, no no so it's Altero Stronger. Oh, okay, hold on. Actually, let me just double. Well, put it in the bio is what we'll do, Kyle. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's together Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Um, and I'll also put that in the, in the blur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to, I, yeah, so please do that because I do think, like, you know, we're, we're lucky enough to be able to talk to Susie and, and this has been, um, you know, a privilege, but 
uh, no one, no, no lone voice is going to be able to turn the tide on this kind of thing. And, and um, we all have a stake in it, obviously. Um, and we're not exactly living in the most rational times, you know, like it's not like all our institutions are responding particularly rationally to the crises that we face, the multitude of crises. And there's a lot of them. Um, I did want to like finish by asking Susie, what gives you hope? What, uh, is there hope on the horizon? Um, What about the antiviral drugs? Just anything that gives you hope really. Um, no absolutely i mean what what has been astonishing i guess has just been the speed at which we've had these you know safe and effective antivirals um vaccines what i really hope is that they are um that that the companies involved make better decisions about making them available to everybody with the antivirals, we have to use them really wisely because um, so my with my real day, my day job hats on, um, you know, one of my real interests is um, antimicrobial resistance. So the ability of uh, viruses and bacteria to become resistant to the drugs that we use to kill them. And so if we use these antivirals really badly, they will the bugs will become resistant and then they will be no longer used. These drug will, the drugs will be no longer useful. So we need to use them wisely. Um, I'm really hopeful that we're going to get a vaccine that does a much better job at stopping transmission. Don't get me wrong, the ones that we've got are doing something, but we need something better, right? So um, I really hope that we get some intranasal vaccines maybe that might work better. Um, And I guess talking to folks like you gives me hope. You know, it's very easy to feel like you're on your own. I mean, I, I actually can't, I'm one of those old fashioned people who subscribes to newspapers and things, magazines and stuff, because I want them to exist. I can't read them anymore. And, and actually for some of them, I'm thinking, I don't want to subscribe to you anymore because I know I want you to exist, but I actually don't want to, you to exist anymore because you are platforming so much bullshit, so much divisive bullshit from those minority that I have had enough. So I think what gives me hope is connecting with people who do have the same values as me because you're absolutely right. We are stronger together and we need to remember that. We need to remember that when we get to the voting booth you know, we need to be thinking about everybody. And so I think the pandemic has brought out the best and the worst in everybody. And so as a optimist, I'm going to hope that we come out of this, at least some of us learning those lessons and doing what we can to try and turn the tide. I think, you know, and some of the, the polling that we mentioned earlier around the just the sheer number of people who who do agree with these things or, or want more support or more public health measures it really does say to me that we are far more united as a as a country and you know even even globally than i feel like we've been in a long time and i'd really encourage anyone who's, who's listening to this i'd say probably a lot of the people listening to this uh, have been agreeing with us as we've discussed these things Go to aotearoatogether.org, uh, sign up, uh, organize uh, with, with Justine and, and the other people involved in that. So we can get some of these uh, feelings uh, turned mm. into a movement and, and turn into something which can put real effective pressure on our institutions and our politicians, because at the moment it's not happening. You know, and I think like what... It, it, 
like what gives me hope is the fact that I do think that the the majority of us are going to learn the right lesson from this pandemic, but we're not in positions of power, and so that needs to change. Um, and 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 what we need to do is rebalance something that's gone very askew. Um, and that's not a job for you, Susie. You just continue doing your job, and you're great at that. <laughs> um, Thank you for putting but, that out there. Definitely not my job. Not, 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 not Susie's not job. job I want. She doesn't want the job. No. <laughs> doesn't want the job. But we are behind you. We are behind you. And also, um, you know, that is our it's it's our collective job, and it's real urgent. So you know, like if you don't want to join this particular movement, please go join your union or go organizing your community or um you know when i know you're tired and you're burnt out and maybe you feel hopeless but um what so gives me hope yeah <laughs> no but yeah totally and it's like totally fair but what gives me hope is that actually the majority of us all agree and something's very wrong with that picture yeah hey thanks so much for joining us this evening susie <laughs> it's been great it's been fantastic my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, if people don't know who you are and want to find you um, online, find <laughs> you, but only, but but please be aware of <laughs> trolls need not apply. <laughs> I am very very liberal with my block button. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, where, where, oh, where, sorry now. <laughs> where can people find your social media? Um, so I'm um, at Susie W on Twitter. Um, the trick will be learning how to spell it first. Um, and then you can see um, all my writings on the spinoff. So that's where I do most of my musing about the pandemic. Um, yeah, that's basically where you can where you can find me. Um, otherwise, I'll be out and about on my bicycle. <laughs> hey, so good to have you. Uh, and, and thanks to everyone for uh, listening in. Uh, thank you to my co-host, Justine. Um, and for all the work she's done in this space as well. Go and join up at aotearoatogether.org. I'll drop the, well, all, all the links are in the blurb for this, so you should be able to just click through if that's something you're interested in. This has been another episode of One of 200 Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Relentless routines Dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full You don't hate your nation you hate nationalism You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism